Welcome to The Rabbit Hat, brought to you by Cardinals.com for June 22nd, 2015. I am Mark Hagen, and we're going to be talking once again about the WSOP this week. We're also going to be talking about PokerStars making some changes to its third-party software policy that didn't cause 2 plus 2 to burn down, at least not immediately. And a few other things that are tangential to the series or, tangential, or, or apply to online poker in general that we'll try to get to over the course of the podcast today. To help me do that is my co-host and managing editor over at PokerScout.com, Robert Delafave. Robert, how's it going? Pretty good, Mark. Uh, you know, I was actually tempted to play a little online poker this week. I know that's a novelty for us poker media guys, yeah. but um, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I didn't want to spend uh, three hundred dollars on Heads Up Software, so I uh, <laughs> so oh, I decided see. to uh, to kind of just stick with the five dollar tournaments. Almost played the relevant stuff, but I was like, eh. Don't want to be at such a huge disadvantage. Yeah, you didn't decide to invest a couple months' salary on all the <laughs> all the tools that haven't been banned by WSOP or by Party. We'll Not get to that. Week. We'll get to that story in a little bit. We have quite a bit of WSOP news, and a lot of this showed up later in the week too. Because as I was doing the outline, I was like, I didn't really hear all that much that was going on. And and then I found out I was wrong and just was not looking at the right news sources. But we're going to, first things first, we're going to go over the people that have won events since we last talked. We're going to cover events 24 through 36, uh, event number 37, which is a, or event number 36, which is a Parliament Omaha event. That one actually hasn't finished yet as of time of recording. It'll be done by the time you, you all hear this. We'll cover up to event 35 even though the 6 Max No Limit also finished, just to make it easier for us next week. So, here are your winners for the WSOP in the past week. Event number 24 was a $1,500 horse event, and that was won by Arash Ganayan. He wins $239,000 and a bracelet for his efforts. Event number 25 was a 5K 8 Max No Limit Hold'em. That was won by Jeff Tomlinson. He wins $568,000 for his first place prize. Event number 26 was a 1K PLO event, and that was won by Aaron Wallace. He wins $227,000 and a bracelet. Event number 27, 10K 7-card stud, was won by card runner's own Brian Hastings. He wins $240,000 and gets a cool bracelet out of the deal. Event number 28 was the Monster Stack event, and that would, and the winner for that was Perry Xiao. He wins... One point three, nearly $1.3 million and a bracelet for winning that very large event. Event number 29 was the 10K Deuce to 7 No Limit Single Draw Championship, and Phil Galfon wins that event for $224,000 and a bracelet. Event number 30 is one of the 1K Donkaments, and that goes to Ivan Luca. He wins $353,000 for beating the field there. Event number 31 was the 3K Pot Limit Omaha High Low, or 8 or better. That was won by Jeff Matson. He wins $301,000 in a bracelet for his efforts. Event number 32 was a 5K 6 Max No Limit Hold'em event, and that one went to Jason Mercier. He wins his third bracelet and gets $633,000 as well. Event number 33 was the $1,500 Deuce to 7 Triple Draw event. That was won by Benny Glazer. He wins $136,000 and a bracelet in that event. And that will. And event number 35, the 3K horse event, uh, Daniel Adima wins that one and he wins $261,000. 
and a bracelet for his efforts there. So we have a few things. We don't have any event-specific news to talk about. There's several things that have definitely happened. And the first one, we talked about this on the program, I don't know if it was last week or, or, or the week before. Eric Lindgren cashed in uh, a, an event, and he actually had a fairly large cache, which could only mean that the line outside the cashier's desk at, at the World Series of Poker was longer than the main event line probably will be at any point during the series. Uh, so it should come almost as no surprise that so, as soon as he wins the event, uh, Eric Lincoln has once again filed for bankruptcy. So this is according to Bloomberg Business, and also this got picked up by F5 Poker, uh, who our uh, good friend Jeff Walsh is the the man in charge there. He ju- he had just scored two hundred thousand dollars in his finish at the Millionaire Maker, and then he in bankruptcy proceedings he said that his assets totaled less than fifty k. So my joke was probably not incorrect. He probably immediately had to pay off his backer and his million other backers over the course of the intervening week. Uh, according to the filing, he's ex- thought to owe in excess of $8 million, and uh, PokerStars had sued him earlier this year for $2.5 million in an accidental uh, deposit to his account that he just took and ran with around the time of Black Friday. And we've, I mean, we've discussed it on this podcast, and there's been definitely other places where uh, Lingren's uh, issues have come to play. And uh, first, I've got to say is that this is why you shouldn't cash in a WSOP tournament when you have severe money problems. And also, I have to ask, how the hell was he even able to play? Like, was there some very, there had to have been some very generous backer to uh, be like, oh, yeah, Eric Lingren, guy that has no money to his name. And the second that he cashes there, I might not even be first in line to get my money back. Uh, I mean, this is, I mean, this is still kind of a sad story, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I always kind of thought it was a hilarious story, but well, yeah, okay. <laughs> On face, it's like, okay, that's funny, but at the same time, I mean, it is the take is like, haha, but oh wait, Ugh. no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, I just, I just, you know, I was kind of just laughing at the fact that the two sources of this are Bloomberg Business, you know, one of the most reputable like sites in the entire financial planet. And then it's F5 Poker, which is a, a straight, you know, basically a parody site um, or a site that co- covers off-kilter topics in the poker world. Very effectively, right. I might add. Um, as far as, yeah, when your total assets are less than 50 grand, like the day you win or after you win, let's say, 200 grand in a uh, pretty prestigious event, you have some serious money issues. That's that's for the damn sure. <laughs> Um, he probably had to pay off a ton of people right away. You notice that this year he is playing in much smaller events than in years past. So obviously there's, I'd say, a less willingness of the backers to put him into, say, a player's championship. Or I mean, maybe he'll get into the main event, but we, I'm sure he will now because he's performing well. But there was less of a willingness. So this is this is kind of a sad story. I mean, this is a guy who is part of the old guard. And, and believe it or not, the guy performs at the WSOP. I mean, you look at the last few years, at a big score uh, last year, I think like 121,000. A year before, he was like a 600 and something thousand score at the WSOP. Mm-hmm. And then another one at the um, WPT. So we're talking about 
maybe $1.5, $1.6 million of winnings. This guy is at the top of his game. And, um, you know, he's he's paying for his mistakes. He's probably not seeing any of this money. I mean, he's filing for bankruptcy after, like, winning, you know, a couple million dollars. Uh, this is, you know, that's, that's insane. Um, so... It is. It is very, very, very sad for poker, and um, we have to kind of look at it that way. We can't, like, you know, just mock this guy all the time because he is showing a willingness to turn his life around. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, a willingness to turn his life around, but he has a uh, significant uh, deficit to try to overcome. Mm -hmm. I mean, and Lord knows whether he's uh, playing these tournaments so he can pay people back or whether there's other issues there, but... This, I mean, to me, this this reminded me of two things. Um, one, that we do still get a bit of schadenfreude whenever somebody that was formerly associated with Full Tilt has something bad happen to him. Uh, but also that there, one of the things that some people laud and other people kind of go, kind of are a little skeptical about uh, praising is this idea of the D-Gen gambler. And Eric Lingland clearly uh, qualifies here. I mean, is the uh, his case is the case of someone that actually failed miserably and now is going to owe uh, life uh, uh, lifetimes worth of money forever. Um, but is is the DJ gambler something that we would ever want to promote in the poker world? Because I mean, he was he was part of the old guard and he was a he was a character a little less so than your Phil Homius and your Daniel Negranos. But I mean, he was one of the guys that they were they focused on because he was big in the early two thousands. Um, and you would have like these segments about, oh, how many bets people would place on each other and stuff. Is that something we would want to promote in the poker world? Or have we kind of gotten past the, we need to define us as a game of skill in order to keep people from, uh, getting, to get people off of our backs? Yeah, I think, I think it's good that, you know, we can clearly differentiate between the two. We look at this guy, we can say, hey, this guy is performing out of his mind at poker, you know, performing at a top level for X amount of years. And he's still, you know, six, seven, eight million dollars in debt because he's a D-Gen gambler, because he got mixed in with the wrong people, because he took some shortcuts in life. So it kind of shows stay with the poker, stay away from the video poker, the horse racing, yeah. the, uh, you know, blackjack or whatever else he was involved in, you know. And I think this guy's learning a hard lesson. That's why I feel like we shouldn't be too tough on him. Now, if he's taking 200 grand and gambling on, you know, number seven at the, uh, Hamiltonian or something, then all right, maybe we shouldn't forgive him so much, or, should we, or we should keep poking jokes. We really don't know what he's doing these days. It seems like he's on the the straight and narrow, but we're not sure. Now, backing up to the point regarding is this kind of a small reminder of you know what was going on with Full Tilt? I, I believe it absolutely is, and you know what? But to be honest, it would disgust me much less. To play on the new Phil Tilt that's owned by Amaya and Poker Stars, than to watch one of those god awful commercials with uh, all those you know pros who are stealing our money on a regular basis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even the uh, Linger wasn't even by far the worst of them. He was just kind of taking the ride. But right. um, let's just hope we don't hear about Letter or Ferguson making their vaulted return to the World Series of Poker. That, yeah, that would it. be a disaster. <laughs> that I mean. Uh, we talk about the ways that uh, there would be some sort of two plus two singularity. I think that would be pretty much it if Letter or Ferguson was at the main event and they weren't immediately crucified uh, in in the in the pavilion. Uh, so 
that the, so that all said, uh, hopefully Eric does turn his life around, but uh, he appears to have a long way to go to make the necessary changes. But the WSOP, on the other hand, w- which doesn't have money problems, even though the rest of the company does, uh, is making changes of their own. So two things happened, one of which we've mentioned before, the other is uh, a little more esoteric, but it involves, uh, it involves Chainsaw, so massive <laughs> surprise there. But the first thing is, is that there's a new, there's going to be a new batch of cards heading toward the WSOP. Uh, we mentioned on the program last week that there are people that have been complaining that the cards are too thin, that the clubs and spades look too alike, which that one I don't really buy, but whatever. Or in terms of like how, how can you tell not tell the two, but I haven't actually seen the cards to know the difference. Uh, but they're basically addressing these exact things. The cards are going to be thicker. They're going to be, uh, they're going to have more distinctive suits. And uh, so all I got to say is that so much for that uh, effective, like, we're not changing anything, deal with it stance that uh, Ty Stewart had made last week. Yeah, this is definitely more serious than in years past. If we kind of look back, this is the first time since, I believe, 07, when you couldn't tell the six and the nine apart. And that actually was a problem um, that we've actually seen some some cards from this company. Um, It's... It's relevant, and I, I'm surprised they're doing it because it is kind of late, but I think this is a, a, a play for the main event, if anything. It has to yeah. be, right? That's a, that's what it seems like because, I mean, it's the tw- it's the 22nd now, um, or at least when this will be released. And so there's only a couple weeks left before the main event anyways, and I can't imagine that they're going to get it that quickly. Uh, there was no time frame when this, uh, when this story broke on Poker News. But I imagine it's going to happen soon. Uh, the The question I have, though, is that is this any hint regarding the investigation they have? They may or may not be still having regarding the marked cards ac- accusations at the Heads Up tournament. Well, because before I mean, they were like, eh, and now all of a sudden we are getting a custom batch of cards. Yeah, like I said previously, the WSOP isn't light to make changes. I mean, people complain about these cards every year. It's the first time in eight years we've seen them change. So I think it is it is relevant because now WSOP is saying, oh, we should suddenly we're taking this seriously, even though we could probably get by with these cards. Now, I think there's other factors. I think that um, Modiano, I think I'm saying that correctly, yeah. is, um, well, from what I've heard, they actually do have some great cards. And some pretty bad ones, too. They really kind of run the gamut. So it looks like in some sort of cost-cutting measure, the WSOP negotiated for the bad ones. I know that comes as a huge surprise, but um, <laughs> but I do get it. You know, They're going through tens of thousands of decks. There are probably more decks needed this year than any other year, maybe like the last three years combined, if you look at some of these, these crazy fields. So, you know, the question is how many decks are they going through? So... And real, realistically, if they didn't have better cards already, you know, on the shelf, could they get them in time? I, I sincerely doubt it. Um, they have to cut like you know a couple thousand decks of cards, and even if it was like two weeks or a week and a half, they could do this and ship them out to Nevada. It would still be kind of a stretch. So I think they have them on hand. Don't quote me on that. But then again, you know, at the same time, we have to look at how much net profit WSOP makes, and it's probably quite the pretty penny again, especially this year. So I don't think this is going to hurt them too bad. I think it's really good PR for them, if anything. Yeah, the, the, it, I mean, there have been multiple now detailed 
discussions about what was wrong with those cards. Uh, they, they, I mean, we of course we had Negrano talking about it. Uh, David Baker had released a quite lengthy uh, discussion of his own. Um, it was via a Google Doc, but he posted it on Twitter that talked about the problems with the with the with the cards and how marking them is really really easy. And I don't I don't know off the top of my head how long it takes before the cards are considered dead. I imagine it's in hours and not days. So the number of decks that they must go through between cash games and tournaments and all that other stuff has got to be enormous. Oh, so it, it can't, it, I can totally understand that they wouldn't want to make the changes, but so, but that's what makes me think that the, I mean, the marked card part is probably the biggest black eye. I mean, the, the six and the nine was just an aesthetic screw up and the, and, and it is not nearly on par with the uh, problems with the spades and the clubs because people kind of just say, well, that's an aesthetic issue, but the biggest problem pros are having is that these cards can be marked. And I remain unconvinced that this is unrelated to other investigations they're having with regards to cheating. Although, as we mentioned uh, last week, the chances of them making an announcement regarding that person are slim to shit. Were slim to shit last week. Uh, now that they're changing the cards, it may come to light sooner if it if they are in fact still investigating it. But. I think that this is a good change by the WSOP. Uh, whether or not it makes a difference, we don't know because we don't know if these cards are still going to be really easy to mark. We still don't know if the ch- if the aesthetic changes are really going to matter. Um, this is just one of those things, I guess, where we have to just wait and see what the players say when it comes out, right? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, the the one thing that's changing is the whatever they use to make the plastic. I, and I'm no expert on how cards are made. But it'll be, you know, the plastic itself will be thicker. But does right. that really say that the cards will be, you know, more less easily marked if there's the plastic thicker? I imagine they'll they can't bend as easy. Or and I think that was one of the complaints. And, and we can certainly address the aesthetics. But yeah, like you said, do they really matter? So I think the big thing is here is that will they be able to still be marked? And, but I think again, it's more PR than anything. This kind of satiates, you know. The people who are complaining, it kind of says, oh, they're taking the investigation seriously. So we might not get an announcement, but we're going to get something. Right. You know, I don't think they want to make the announcement. That could be terrible PR for the WSOP. But so you want to do something in the kind of the interim without delving too deeply into conspiracy theories here. They kind of keep everybody happy, make a change. And, and it's going to be a positive change. We, like you said, though, we just don't know how much of a positive change is going to be. So, I mean, speaking of things that are just, uh, I won't say pandering, that's a bit too mean, but uh, PR moves that are meant to uh, uh, appease a certain demographic, the limit structures in, for the WSP have been changed, and these evidently require approval by the Nevada Gaming Control Board, and I buy that, that makes sense. Uh, but Alan Kessler, who is a structure nut or wizard depending on how you want to put it uh had outlined various problems he had with the low uh the lower buy-in limit structures uh i i think the one of the common refrains i saw is that people there's too many people to get out of day one but the second day two starts so many people have so few chips that it's just a nightmare just at the beginning of day two so 
they they changed some of they changed the structure for pretty much all the days to give more play in day one, add levels in day two and day three, which makes things more meaningful. And this these are all things that uh, Kessler had mentioned, and uh, and he proposed these changes uh, in an article that was released on Poker News earlier this week. Poker News reported on this uh, on the 18th that they were making the changes. And but the, this again, this is a problem that people were complaining early in the series that there's too much. There was too much play early, and there was just this awkward situation in day two, where you know the guys with low stacks wouldn't go away because there was just too much play. And by the time you got to the end, it was just like oh shit. And uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on uh, this particular scenario with there with the WSP making changes to uh, I think four events? And their structures for uh, for low buy-in events. Okay, first of all, this is the ultimate irony. You got Chainsaw calling for a more accelerated structure. Yeah, that's um, true. That's, yeah. I mean, at least on day one. Obviously, day two and, and three will be shorter, so it's not quite as astounding but or unprecedented. But It, you know, it is weird light- hearing Chainsaw talk about the play being too slow. Yeah, I mean, I'm what just... this guy is looking for every squeeze every penny out of every tournament. Um, but hey, you know what? Ever anyone can change. So I guess this is kind of a testament that he actually maybe just felt that every tournament was a little too um, slow for a particular or a little too fast for a particular reason. It actually is reasonable in his like assumptions that okay, maybe he can go either way. So credit to him. You know, all joking aside, he does know a lot about this. I think he does tend more towards the wizard side. Um, I don't think his opinion should be cast off. No. So, this is not a significant change, though. Like you said, four events um, left with the, the limit structures. It, I can't, again, I can't help telling that this is more PR than anything. Right. Um, this, this complaint kind of went in, like... I heard this complaint around the time of the Colossus, I believe. It was pretty where, early. Where, where players were kind of complaining about fatigue, not being able to, and then again, like you said, not being able to get into the money or playing through a long day one and then not even being close to the money. And then suddenly, like a shitstorm of players just getting eliminated on day two and there's really no play. And limit, you do value your ability to play because that it is that type of game. So... I don't know though. With three or four events left, it's it's not it's not significant. But again, I do give the WSOP credit, and I think both of these changes with both the cards and the and the the changes to the limit structures will kind of be. Let's see what they do next year. Let's see if they bring in good cards from the get next year. Let's see if they get it right for once, and let's see if they make amendments to their limit structures, or and, and I think they need to make amendments to their no limit structures too because some of the Changes while very positive, like the chip counts and the the, the, the more preference towards lower buy-in events. I think it might have gone a little too overboard, and that players were having to you know play on day one till five six in the morning. Sometimes mm-hmm. coming back on four hours of sleep, so maybe it was too generous. And and, and also I also find it ironic that all the recreational players who kind of called for these deeper chip stacks because it puts them at disadvantage. Did they realize that this year? It would be the first time. <laughs> and you know, maybe we'll see a scale back from, say, a 66% in, in, uh, percent increase on the you know, amount of uh, starting chips to maybe a, a 50 or a 33% increase. And I think that would kind of split the difference between 
what we had in 2014 and what we had this year. So I think all of these changes, I tend to say they're more PR unless, and I and I and I think this will happen. We see next year a lot of a lot of these changes carry over. That's a, I mean that's the thing. The the World Series makes changes every single year. Um, the big marquee ones are what new tournaments are coming out. So the Colossus, the uh, the seven uh, the seven hundred seventy seven dollar draft king tournament, uh, things of that sort, or or the Millionaire Maker that uh, that came out last year, or the Donkamans when they're when it, at one point there was one every freaking week. So uh-huh. yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. The WSB constantly evolves, as does the understanding of what makes a good poker tournament, and that's a constantly moving target. And of course, because of the way the WSB is the premier tournament series uh it's going to get the most scrutiny it's going to get way more scrutiny than wpt events will uh way more than ept events do so uh it's it's good that they do listen to players all uh, and again but again it goes back to well will this carry over to next year or we're going to be talking about the same problems and generally speaking again there's always poker players love to complain about something and so it's going. Somebody's going to complain about something next year. Just as long if it's not the things that they were complaining about this year, that's at least a sign that this is more than just a PR move to appease the players this year. Right. All right. I think we're done talking about the WSOP. We have some other news to cover, but before we do that, I've got to talk to you guys a little bit about Card Runners. So Card Runners is the premier poker training site with thousands of videos to choose from, and they host our podcast as well. So. That helps uh, get you this poker uh, news every single week. So this week, there's two really big uh, topics that they covered. Uh, one, there's a lot of videos on low stakes, Zoom, PLO, and No Limit that went out in the last week. And there's also a video just on outlining the types of skills you should have if you want to play tournament poker. So that's a lot of useful information, both from the cash perspective in a fast fold situation and from playing a large multi-table tournament. If you're not in the United States, you have a much better chance of getting some free card runners. You can go to the to cardrunners.com, look at the top bar and look at and click the CR deals link and depending on your choices, you can get between 1 month and 3 months of free card runners if you sign up through card runners. You can also get a copy of Hold a Manager uh, 1 if you sign up through i do believe it's titan poker you'll get one month of card runners there if you sign up through william hill hill you'll get three months of card runners so if you don't have accounts on those sites that's a great way to get free card runners if you do not have the ability to do this or you've already signed up for both these sites and can't get around it anyways you can sign up for a monthly subscription and it comes with a seven day risk-free trial so you can take a look at all the videos that you could that you have and there's also courses that have been set up on the forums for the site that can give you a good idea of the the types of videos that you should be watching in order to do up your poker game. So be sure to check out cardrunners.com at your earliest convenience for all of your poker training needs, thousands of videos, and they're all really good and they're all worth checking out. Okay, so it's funny that I mentioned Hold a Manager because the next story has to do with PokerStars making changes to its third-party software policies. Now, to be fair, I'm not saying that they've banned Hold'em Manager. They have not. What they have banned are effectively third is third-party software that 
I mean, what would be the best way to describe it? It basically plays the game for you? More or less. Um, and I, I should point out, it's not a ban yet. It is a call for feedback from the um, players on 2 plus 2 with right. a 10-day window where um, if, if it goes through, it looks like they'll they'll be banning. Now, the, the question is, what will they be banning? And there was a program approved by uh, Stars, I think, uh, maybe a few weeks ago. And they, I don't even think it has a name. It was it was made, made by a player named Skier underscore 5, and it was only gifted out to a couple different players. So it allowed these players, though, to completely crush this hyper-turbo um, sit-and-go Heads up, God, that's a long name format. Um, heads up, hyper turbo sit and goes. There you go. That's it's really a, good. It's the closest we can. So that's that radio experience that. for you. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's it. That's five years of screwing up. I was able to say that one, <laughs> that one go without doing anything wrong. Uh, you know, and, and these these are generally easier games to beat than they are to play, as long as you have this perfect pre flop strategy. Um, because they are heads up and they are very short stacked. The program in question appears to use some sort of database of strategy cards to help the players um, play this optimal, make these optimal pre-flop decisions just on the fly, and it re- it's, it's really responsive. I think it's even act- voice activated. But because they circumvented some of the rules, um, not even circumvented, because they they were actually abided by PokerStars' old terms. This program was legal, and you know, in the weeks that ensued, these players were moving up like four or five different stakes. I'm, I'm just, ex- I'm just picking a number out of thin air, but it is, it is presumably at least a few different stakes that they were able to move up, able to succeed at. So obviously, the uh, community, as they often do in situations like this, there was a big backlash. Mm-hmm. Um. So we have now a Poker Stars is calling for action. Um, they're asking for player feedback. I think they started last Thursday. So by the time this airs, they might have a decision um, on as to whether they're going to actually go through with some of these changes or not. And the change would basically ban programs like this, but also a myriad of other of the other programs. Like I think No Caddy is the one that would require amendments that people are talking about incessantly. So um, it's, it's, it is pretty significant. If this goes through, it's going to address that, that issue that's kind of been lingering around for, you know, and gathering steam for three or four or five or six years that these, you know, HUDs and, and more so the player assist programs, they have to go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what we were kind of joking about at the beginning, right? Is that in order to actually... Uh, have an I won't even say an edge, but to level the playing field with some of the players, you have to invest in hundreds of dollars of of uh, extra aids and whatnot. And and I mean, a lot of the fee- so I was looking at the feedback, and a lot of it really was just saying like the only ones that'll survive what a lot of people want is Poker Tracker and Holder Manager, and uh, which full disclosure, the same people that work with Card Runners work with Holder Manager. And uh, the the and that th- those would be the only acceptable ones left. And even then, HUDs should be just eighty six immediately, because they and and that goes back to a discussion that's been talked about for years. Like you said, uh, this this whole idea of having a bunch of data on your players, which 
you sh- on face you should be just this should only be based on your play but there are sites out there that are just mined databases of millions of hands that you could just go i want that person right and poker stars i believe has already said you, you can't do that uh has it stopped people no of course not so i think that uh, it, it's kind of bringing up those older discussions and so i guess i wanted to kind of ask what your uh, what your thought process was on whether uh, HUDs and uh, hand databases, whether they're your or they were created by your own player or not, are fair, or whether because the uh, the whole premise for these uh, these tools originally was well, if this isn't like live poker, you have no tells that you can really go off of. Like there's timing tells. That's about it. So all you can really do is go off of statistics that you can mine from just playing them. Uh, but then, of course, there's the counter to that, which is that these these tools, since they're not available to everyone, are give people an unfair advantage. So I wanted to get your take on what you think, uh, what you think is right for that. I mean, first of all, I mean, I, it's hard to liken an HUD to tells, and I think that's what people are trying to do, at least in the beginning, trying to justify, oh, we yeah. have no information on the players. First of all, PokerStars makes this big distinction between static and dynamic um, uh, data. That like Static being, you know, I, I guess, what you see after your sessions, you see you know, what you, when the client's not open, or, or just basically regular stats on your opponent that you've collected yourself, and dynamic right. being stats that change on the fly, or stats you've acquired from other programs, and a lot of people are, you know, there's they're, they're sites that sell millions of billions of hands or whatever, and you can acquire all this information. That's not fair because if you try to liken this to a live setting, you don't do that. You you could only have the information on the players you've played with. Now you might get notes from your friends, let's say on a regular. Okay, I get that, but really, realistically, you have your tells, your experience. With the players you see at the table, and and that's it. If you play with them a few sessions, well, you might have a better read on them. Um, but beyond that, you don't really have much. So, are they fair? And that, that's it's a, it's a tricky question. Mm-hmm. I think, I think reviewing your hand histories, I are I think are fair. Um, you know, win rates, etc. I think HUDs are fair if they and I I don't see a problem with them if they tell you. What you're as long as they tell you the hands you've been playing against the other person, they're telling yeah. you three bet percentage, pre flop raise percentage. You know, you can kind of gather that stuff live. You can't get an exact percentage to six decimal places or anything, <laughs> but you can you can get a feel of that. So I think they're okay, and I do think they assist in um, multi tabling, which. As much as people want to complain about multi-tabling, I, I do feel as a, a paramount a paramount aspect of the game because it would really crush the site's bottom line if it didn't exist. Right. So I think in order to maintain a sustainable poker community, you need it. You don't maybe you don't need twenty four tables. Maybe you can limit it to six or eight. But I still feel it's very imperative to have those. So, um, but at the same token. The issue of fair is is changing. It's evolving. These programs are less fair every year than they were the year previously. Mm-hmm. They're destroying the poker ecology more as an effect than they did each year. So what's kind of happened that this isn't really much of a game anymore. This is a 
a math problem that needs to be solved. And that's how a lot of people are viewing it. It's a computer algorithm. And the guys who don't solve the problem, either because they, they choose not to, they don't know about these programs, as some recreational players don't, or they just can't afford them um, or don't want to pay for them. That's pretty much my case where I just don't want to pay for them. I don't feel like I should need to. Um, they're at a severe disadvantage. And I think, you know, one thing that gets lost in this is that these things take all the fun out of the game and all the appeal, mm-hmm. initial appeal, you know, the, the, you, you, the, the grandiose and, and romance with poker is kind of lost in all these statistics. It's just very nerdy and um not for nothing that that that's that may be a good or a bad thing when you've seen you know guys from silicon valley like making billions over the years and, and there's there isn't a now a romance kind of associated with that i just don't think we'll see the same thing online so i think the fun factor is so paramount to the evolution of poker and the sustainability of poker and now we've more or less lost that online so that i think is the biggest problem more than any issue of whether it's fair or not. I think that's why it would need to go more than anything. This tracks back to a conversation that we uh, that, that we do get have a lot with, you know, when you look at the way that uh poker was covered in during the poker boom, you would have these personalities, you would have these guys uh that would, you know, single themselves out by not only their play but how they were. Uh, and then when the era of the online player really took off, uh, you know, in the early uh, in the early 2010s, that's when you got the nine people all in hoodies with sunglasses on and saying nothing. And suddenly it got a lot more boring to to watch poker. And I think a lot of this goes back to the. That thought where you have, well, you mentioned nerd, and I don't think that's exactly correct, but you have these people that their only way of knowing how other people play is through analytics, and so that's kind of the only frame of mind you can get at, and you're not really commentating to yourself while playing, and you can't really, you can't really use social interaction to gain any knowledge in an online setting, or at least you shouldn't be able to do that very well. And so it, it, I think that when, so, so it goes back to like, so some of these tools do provide an unfair advantage. It's really easy to be like, okay, well, if you have a, a tool that's telling you what to do in a certain limit level with the, your number of big blinds and the other person's big blinds, like the, any ICM tool that, that exists, that's, that's BS. That shouldn't exist. Uh, analyzing your own hands. I mean, you could, in theory, keep a journal of all your live hands and put them in to to something like Hold'em Manager if you so chose, and you could analyze your play there, and that's doable. Um, but it's you know, obviously, you go through a lot more hands in the online sense, so it's sometimes harder to keep track of your own play. And so, I mean, that's I, I, that's why I don't have a problem with these with the, uh, these uh, self-made hand databases because they can help you plug up your own leaks. As far as HUDs go, I mean, the thing is, is that uh, there's only a small fraction of people that actually understand all the da- all the data points well enough to take advantage of it. Uh, whether that's a good thing or not, I don't really know. Um, the cost-prohibitive nature of a lot of these uh, these tools that are 
gray area at best uh, is only kind of only kind of keeps that stratification of players that have these tools and destroy versus uh, recreational players that get wrecked uh, as a result of that. I mean, some of the biggest things that I think are are uh, are consequences of this. I mean, when we talk about the poker ecology, is not necessarily that that these tools exist or that they're expensive or whatever. It's that a lot of times when you're trying to gain an edge, and uh, this is one of the other things that that came up as something that should probably be banned. And players said this in droves was like seeding scripts that bum hunt effectively. And you can do this via your you know uh, your own programs. You can do this by looking at mine databases to try to find fish and sit in an exact spot to be able to just crush them. And that's stuff like that that I think does a lot of real harm to the way that you could play online poker because when you have the same guy beating you time after time after time and, you, and you're a recreational pleasure that doesn't know that this is going on, that's discouraging as hell and you end up quitting. So it's stuff that, I mean, it's things that can very easily directly adver- uh, adversely affect uh, players that don't know this stuff exists, like seating scripts, like hand databases that you can buy by the billions of hands. I think that's the sort of thing that 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 needs to go away. But the biggest problem is is that it I mean, especially for the hand databases, it's really hard for PokerStars or any other site to actually enforce this. And I think that's actually one of the bigger problems. Uh that no matter what you do, uh you really it's really hard for stars on their end to stop you. Especially when it especially when it comes to something like having a, a you know a billion hand database that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in I'm in complete agreement with every point you're making. I mean, first going back to um, the seeding scripts and and their their ability to allow players to bum hunt. Well, bum hunting is one arguably the worst existing problem in the online poker realm. It's the it's the, a virtual equivalent of bullying. I mean, right. let's just face it. And I'm not just saying that because I've probably been bum hunted before in my life. Um, but yeah, it's that in enforcement. If you have, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have the patience to scour the the uh, entire 150 pages and growing thread of the uh, PokerStars policy change amendment, um, you'll see that most players are not really that confident that any change can be properly enforced. Right. And there's there's some arguing that the changes will create an even greater divide between now it's not the haves and the have-nots; it becomes the hackers and the non-hackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the guys using you know two three computer screens to keep some of their information that's not allowed when the client is open using a different IP or a different or a hack or what have you to see and use these programs anyway, you know maybe and maybe they're right maybe this creates an even greater divide between a smaller subset of the community and the rest of the community, but it's it, it's a bigger divide so now. I don't know. You know, my opinion on this whole thing is it, it's probably a good first step. Um, in so long as as Poker Stars takes some additional um, security measures, and I think this was kind of again without going into conspiracy theories, I think mm-hmm. Poker Stars was kind of waiting for the right opportunity to do this um, to institute these types of broad sweeping changes because. You kind of get the sense that they were trying to get rid of these heads up sit and goes anyway. Yeah. If, 
they 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 upped the rake. They reneged on it because the community was upset. Um, they've done other things to kind of discourage play from this. Um, and obviously, the introduction of spinning goes was a big deal. And Jeez. in the absence of another one of them, I can I can see, you know, well to go back to the previous point, um, we can't really take all of these changes too lightly. So I think we needed something like this to kind of propel stars to say, okay, now we can take action because the community is going to be completely on our side. And now we can address all these problems that have been growing in the community for years and years and years. Effectively, you know, it it is again, a little PR, everyone's going to kind of be on our side, but I think they're waiting for this opportunity. Now, in the end, will it look good or bad on them? Will it reflect poorly on them? It depends. If they institute changes to enforce these, a lot of players are saying they just can't. They'll never, the hackers will always be one step ahead. Um, whether that's true or not, it does seem to be the tendency in the uh, computing world. But yeah. um, but if they keep up on it, will they just make this change? You know, that's a simple policy change, a simple few lines of code that bans program X, Y, or Z, which seems pretty easy for a company like PokerStars. Or will they add these these additional security checks, which are not going to be as easy to do? So I think that's really going to kind of hang on, like whether this is a, a, a success or a failure or not, or whether these are good or bad changes going to depend on what they do in the future more than anything. Yeah, uh, and you know what what the real motivation for Stars is to make these changes is, uh, well, I mean, only they know. But uh, well, I guess next week we, we will, because we do need to move on to our last story regarding Pennsylvania, but next week we'll probably know exactly what these changes are, right. and uh, we'll be able to report on that and the reaction from the community when that happens. Uh, so we've mentioned that California is uh, not getting online poker in 2015, which uh, mildly irritates the, the California native in me that still lives in a state that can't freaking figure out how to get online poker working. Uh, but in Pennsylvania, we had at least thought for a while that there was a bit of hope that they might be the next state. To so get we thought. Poker. <laughs> yeah. And as as it seems to be a very consistent theme, uh, things are not looking quite as good as they did a week ago. Now, we had said that the bill, when we discussed a bill on this, that it just seemed too outrageous to be uh, realistic. Uh, especially something like the tax rate was just absurd, um, and there were two real. There were two things that kind of came, or I guess there were three things that came out of these hearings, and uh, we can we can discuss all three of them uh, here. Uh, one of them, which seemed like kind of what is a non-issue, was uh, you know, is so the regulators in Pennsylvania said that they were confident they'd be able to regulate online poker in Pennsylvania, but isn't that something they're gonna say anyways? Like, wouldn't you be able to say, yes, we can still do our job? Yeah, I mean, they've been running the um, brick-and-mortar industry for, up. I mean, I guess they've had the 10 years now. So, yeah, yeah, you should be able to do your job by now. And this is really not significant. I mean, Pennsylvania and New Jersey are basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're, both, they're both based on the land-based industry. They're, 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 every, every operator is going to be affiliated with a land-based commercial casino. So... Same thing in New Jersey. They've kind of had a couple years to study what we've done. And I say we because I live in New Jersey. Um, so I kind of feel like we've seen this story before. Um, 
Only problem, maybe, I think there are, are, are border issues in Pennsylvania that don't exist or aren't as prevalent in uh, New Jersey. So PA is going to have New Jersey, New York, Ohio, um, Maryland, is it? Yeah, probably. Um, not as good as my geography as I should be, but um, I believe it borders Maryland and maybe even a touch of Delaware. So there are going to be some border issues with the geotech that, that aren't as prevalent because we technically border New York, but we have a river to separate us. We do border Pennsylvania. We haven't had any issues there. Um, we, border, uh, we border upstate New York and New Jersey. So, I mean, it's not that much different. That's the only thing I can see that might be a little bit, um, a little bit more tricky because there is more borders. Beyond that... The regulators, yeah, they should, they should be ready for this by now. They've had years and years and years to prepare for this. They knew it was on the table starting maybe even two years ago. And um, they've seen their closest neighbor in New Jersey, which is their main competitor. So you always kind of want to study what your competitor is doing. And I'm sure they have been. Um, they, I'm, I'm assuming they would be ready for launch if they passed the bill and then had another 9 to 12 months to get up to speed. Shouldn't be a problem, and no real surprise there. Yeah, unfortunately, the uh, the bill probably isn't going to pass this year because the the Senate bill SB nine hundred is calling for a fifty four percent tax rate. That's freaking absurd. Yeah. Uh, the problem with now why this is coming up is because there's unease that if online has a lower tax rate, then people are just going to start playing online. Because not because the the online gamblers will be like, oh great, the tax isn't as high because this is a tax on the business. The business will start uh, uh, going and aggressively pushing their online property, which has a, a smaller tax, which screws over Pennsylvania because then they'll take in less revenue. If this is a real problem that that some state senators and assemblymen have in Pennsylvania. I imagine this is more of a sticking point than we initially thought it was. It is, and um, that's unfortunate. I, I, the problem is I don't think these guys, just, I, they don't get it. You know, we've been publishing article after article after article saying, no, this tax rate is a bad idea. We don't need it. it it's, going to, it's going to destroy, um, more than anything, your poker ecology because it's going to lead operators to introduce higher rate Um cutbacks to VIP programs. And, and we've seen, again, we've seen this story before. Look at the situation in France and Italy. These are two ring-fenced markets that are that are falling apart because they're A, they're niche markets, and B, they're getting destroyed by high taxation. And there, there was a great chart by um, Gambling Compliance that showed this, that Italy's 20%, Spain's 25%, Nevada's 7%, New Jersey 18%. And now we're talking about 54% in Pennsylvania. And, and what really pisses me off about this is that they're calling for 54% across the board with the justification saying this is what land-based charges. That's not entirely true. <laughs> um, the, the slot rate is 54%. There's this other, other half of the business that I might have heard of called table games, including poker. The rate on that is 16%. We do the math, and we're, we're not assuming a 50-50 split because slots are probably – they do generate a little bit more, I believe. But that, that's actually kind of – that divide is kind of shrinking now. Table games are, are increasing in popularity. So assuming a 50-50 split or near that, your tax rate drops into the 30s. Okay, now we have a little wiggle room. 
You have Payne's bill, which is uh, the the assembly bill, 14% across the board. All right, we kind of knew that wasn't going to fly. A little low for what Pennsylvania's aims are with the yeah. um, deficit and all. But let's say we have 35 and 14 on the table. Okay, now we have something in the mid-20s. Now, is this sustainable? Um, that's even tough. That it would be tough for um, it would be tough for the smaller operators to really run any sort of tangible marketing schema in the in the beginning, and 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 really their day to day operations is still profit off what again is a niche market until you get interstate, which does change things quite a bit in my opinion, especially uh, well mostly for poker, but um, yeah this is this is not reasonable. And this is way more than what the land-based casinos are charged. I really want to emphasize that point because I don't, I don't, I do not care for this justification about the land-based charging fifty-four so we can too. It's not even remotely close to fifty-four once you get it on paper. And maybe I'll even figure out exactly what it was last year. But um, let's be a little bit more reasonable. Let's say it'll be you know let's go for the twenties. Let's go for the, tw- the high twenties. Let's meet in the middle. And also, let's realize that online is not going to cannibalize from the land base. We've discussed this last week in, in detail, so I'm not going to reiterate too many of the points. I think we've points. discussed it like 10 to 15 times at this I'm point. sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, we see study after study, Bergata, you know, Boyd, Caesars. Um, there was a one from International um, Gambling last week that came out, and it was, it's just time and time again. So... I guess at this point they're just not going to listen to us, so why even bother? <laughs> but you, you kind of feel like you should because you're, you're fighting for an industry you care about, and you just you have to just put it out there. You have to put your counter arguments out there. But it is very upsetting that no one seems to ever listen to good logic. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, the last point is that now, as a result of uh, impasses like this, that they do not expect gaming legislation to be ready in time, which is unfortunate. Um, I think that this tax rate is actually one of the bigger problems. Uh, if you look at the online poker report article about this, it does note that get Delaware's tax rate is forty five percent, but Delaware's situation is significantly different than that in in New Jersey and Nevada. For one thing, it's a monopoly operator, eight 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 who runs through the Delaware lottery. So it's completely different than having uh, casinos uh, themselves uh, run their own operations. They're basically running as near as it makes no difference, a state run online site. Now it's obviously not exactly that, but that's why the tax rate's so high there is because they're all the rooms or all the uh, places that you can gamble in Delaware have kind of banded together, have one operator so that's kind of why the tax rate is as high as it is in in that state versus the others. But yeah, when you're talking about Spain and France, when they're uh, the tax rate in the twenties and the, those and that's forty million plus people, and those sites are dying, it doesn't really bode well for Pennsylvania. Uh, and unfortunately, the way things are starting to look is that Pennsylvania is also going to. Uh, that their bills are going to kind of weather on the vine as just as much as they have in California. But we'll we'll see uh, going forward uh, if they make progress by the, by the time there's that uh, June 30th deadline to try to get something going in Pennsylvania. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Rabbit Hunt. Uh, Robert, do you have any final words? Yeah, I want to tell the PA guys that, look, you got a $2 billion deficit. This is a proven way to reduce that substantially. What are we waiting for? 
let's try to get something done this week. Let's let's hope some compromise, and let's hope someone who is an intrume- instrumental in that decision hears this. Yeah, you would you would hope that at least some or read something or does do anything. some research. Do something. <laughs> Help us. We want another state. It's been two years. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, hopefully some state gets gets that hand. California. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I vote. Uh, all right. So thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. We'll have more dis- discussions about the WSOP and whatever other news that comes through the poker pipeline. Be sure to check us out on Twitter. We are the rabbit hunt there. You can also check us out on SoundCloud. That's the best way that you get to see our podcast because we do tend to release the podcast on that site a day before we release it on card runners. And also you can check us out through iTunes as well. So there's plenty of ways. And of course, you can check out Cardrunners to get the video version. Of course, we might be starting to do something to justify the videos themselves. We're working on that. So for Robert Dilafov, I am Mark Hagan. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Rabbit Hut budget by Cardrunners.com. See you next week. <laughs>